if I sang out of tune, would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song. Or act dog, Earthlets. My name is Connor, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 183rd episode of Space Spinner 2000 eh. podcast. Yeah, whatever. Eh. Who cares? You know, some number. Hmm. Podcast for two Americans here to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for May and June 1988, progs 575 to 578. This time, Bad Company returns. The ABC Warriors fight amongst themselves. Dread deals with truck, with truck, wait, with truckers and sages. Did I get this right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Truckers and sages. Rogue gets another hit, and Luke Kirby learns the hard lessons of summer magic. Ooh. I like Something. I like these I like these trucker based murders. Not gonna lie, good times. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd: The Complete Case Files Twelve, Rogue Trooper: Tales of New Earth Three, ABC Warriors: The Mech Files One, The Complete Bad Company, Summer Magic: The Complete Journal of Luke Kirby, and Oof. the Judge Dredd Magazine Three Four Five. Man, <laughs> it never ceases to seem like an endless list. Always a lot of stuff. Release I mean, you know, your back issues, MF. Well, I mean, even if um, even if there were back issues, I'd say it's probably wiser just to get the uh, just to get like a collection of the comics you're interested in, as opposed to all of them, you know, or something yeah. like that. I don't know. I mean, you know, we're prog slogging, so maybe I'm, yeah. you know, biased. I guess. I'm, I mean, I'll say like for for my like like very futuristic plans, like if if we ever get there, if. like. When, Sorry. sir? Yeah, when when we get there, like my my plan is to list the graphic novel, the uh, collections things are in, and also just say, and you can buy the progs at like the Rebellion Web Store or something like that. You know, look at you, corporate like, shill. That's right. Listen, give me that money. <laughs> Hand it over. <laughs> like, Thing of beauty. Like you know, I want to sell out. They don't want me. It's tough. You know, it's I know. Very, very, it's very I, sad. I want my own line of cologne already. God damn it. Come on. I want it to be called Danger Acid. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And speaking of of dangerous industrial areas, Fox. (laughs) Are you talking about my penis? Are you talking about Rogue Trooper? It's talking about uh, uh, de- uh, research facilities, which is what Bill Savage was inve- was investigating when he found that danger acid back in the day. Really misread that situation. Mm, Thrill one, rogue trooper. <laughs> uh, title of my sex tape. Mm. Script robot Simon Geller, art robot Steve Dillon, letting robot Gordon Robson. So genetically engineered super soldier, rogue trooper, and his dead comrades preserved his microchips and his war gear. Currently <laughs> traveling the universe at the behest of some aliens to kill a dozen key personnel to end galactic war. He's on the hunt for Professor Bon Vaughn. A weapons really researcher. sounds fucked up when you put it all together like that. Listen, yeah, he's not a, you know, this is a rough character a little bit. Um, but he's going after this guy, but he's been ambushed by that scientist and a pair of his goons. They have guns pointed at each other as rogue talk. Vaughn marvels at like Rogue's talking equipment, but is less charmed as Bagman starts setting bombs on this new cannon he's been he's been working on. I mean, you know, the new vibe look or, or what new wave look only lasts so long. 
can't yeah. keep your cool when there are bombs being planted to your happiness machine. I guess. It's true, yeah. He's, his, his thing's called the can's called the pacifier, and it nullifies man's desire to harm his fellow man. Rogue decides uh, to check it out. Just sounds bad. It sounds evil. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 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 got a very sort of George Orwell feel of like you know um, like a weapon that's actually incredibly deadly, but it's got like a soft name to make it sound better. You know, truly, it should be called anti Twitter. Wasn't there a Vin Diesel or, or 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 Dwayne Johnson movie called The Pacifier? Also, that was one of those tough guys take care of kids movies. I I, I feel like it uh, was perhaps neither, and instead Jason Statham. But I, I I I don't know. It sounds like a Jason Statham movie because I don't know. I mean, as someone who loves Vin Diesel for the latter half of his weird sci-fi career. I don't know if I've seen the pacifier with Vin Diesel. <laughs> well, no, that's to get him a a wider um a wider um range of of uh, things. Not uh, yes, it was like Vin Diesel. That's, <laughs> really, right. that feels like such a Rock Johnson move. Two thousand five. I mean, that's they're they're at equivalent points how, in their careers. How do you, you know? keep that in your brain? I mean, it just twigged a thing, and then I looked it up on on the internet while while you were talking. So it's good times. Anyway, so your brain got it. Next. <laughs> yeah. So Rogue checks out this beam, and while it does make him feel very mellow, suddenly he's blind. Whoa! Well, I mean, or at like, least at least distorted. Balls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nah. <laughs> you gotta wear these. You gotta wear these special glasses to re- to withstand the beam. Oh man, that's what Gunner glasses sells you on, man. Oh geez, all those yellow <laughs> yellow computer glasses. I know what you're talking about. Exactly. Um, Vaughn thinks Rogue is beaten, but then the GI just switches gun, his gun gunner to auto fire, and the sentient rifle just starts killing everybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, there are very few times that I commend the chips, but setting bombs, talking sass, and then auto firing on a bunch of dudes, they're seeming yeah. real useful right now. Bagman's also dispensing mini mines, as you do. It's good times. Oh, it's, um, it's good. It's it is a it is a good time with the things that we like about Rogue Trooper. Yeah, up on the catwalk, one of those uh, seeker assassins that got teased last episode prepares to shoot, but a vision recovered Rogue sees him and blows the killer away. Okay, because I didn't know if that was a thing. I thought he was just like, oh god, I think I'm gonna get shot, but then he gets shot. And then no one acknowledged that maybe it came from somewhere else, so I was confused. No, I think I think Rogue got his vision back just the last minute, saw the attacker, and shot him too. But just figured he was just another one of the goons that are in this area. You know, it's a goon uh, I mean, heavy place. It's hard to tell yeah. one goon from another. Exactly, especially when there's a goon pointing a gun at you. What do you do? Too many goons. Too, too many, many goons. goons. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no. Um, anyway. The bombs Bagman has set are about to explode, so Rogue and the chips teleport away on to hit four. Which I guess now I have to wait for when I finally, I'm like, I, this was what I was into this Assassin Rogue Trooper <laughs> for, man. Vibing Rogue Trooper recently. It's really sad. Now he's gone again. <laughs> I, it's, I, you know, it's uh, really wishing that this was, I, I he's just such a good assassin. Mm. I think it is really interesting how um, these hits have been getting shorter and shorter. I think yeah. hit one was like a dozen progs. Hit two was like was like six, and like this one's like two. Like we're in and out right away. Yeah, it it really uh, and it's I'm enjoying it, man. Like if if he 
like a like a Charlie's Angels or a Danger Five. It started with him like, oh, I'm just not at the place yet. And now I get the mission and then I go and kill the guy. And then it's back to martinis on the beach. I'd be like, that's that's great. Uh, just give well, me that in like six progs. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we're, we're taking a rogue break here. It will. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll check back in on Rogue for a second for for like one prog in August, oh, and then we'll go to what? hit to hit four in October. Well, okay, that's not so far from where we are. I'm okay. I can I can you deal know, with that. Luckily, the onward rush of the Space Spinner Express means that we'll get there sooner than later. You know? <laughs> uh, the Space Spinner Express, man, we need to do some branding. <laughs> I just imagine it's one of those big, like, uh, like a uh, Mad Max war wagons, but like, Ooh, you know, but disc shaped. Um, yeah, disc shaped and like, and, and like air horns constantly blaring as. as oh, we go, you know? <laughs> exactly. Every time someone says a bad joke. <laughs> no, nah, if I had a, if I had a soundboard, maybe. But speaking of deadly vehicles of destruction, Fox. Oh, beautiful. Thrill two, Judge Dredd. Oh God. Skeet is my boy. I would mm. I would go I would go hard for my robot gal, for my AI yeah. lady. As Definitely. seen in the story of my life, Blade Runner 2, more blades and running. <laughs> is that what that's called? Fair yeah, enough. man. That's Spoilers like for Mr. Mr. Whispers himself played me, which is the most accurate portrayal of me that I've ever seen in a, you know, in a movie of me Whoa. about my life. Fair. Uh, script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant, art robot Liam Sharp and uh, Glenn Fabry and Ian Gibson, letting robot Tom Frame. My boy. So Liam Sharp start, starts out on, on art, starts us out on art here as a tr- uh, as a truck driver named Skeet is rolling through Mega City One on a rig called Rosie. I'm radios loving these on color the pages. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I they um, sh- uh, Sharp really draws Rosie as this truck that's got like like a human face and stuff like that. It's kind of fun. Got a little um, ooh going on, you yeah. know, bug eyes. Yeah. She'll be decommissioned soon, but no. suddenly a figure stumbles in front of the truck and Skeet breaks it just in time. Oh, man. Hope this lady isn't dead. She's laying on the ground. Going to get outside my cab, see if they're dead. Yeah, Hope goes they're alive. To investigate. But that's not a woman. That's a wrecking crew, baby. <laughs> we don't need no stinking lady makeup. Yeah, the... uh this bearded gang member shoots Skeet right through the chest, and the whole gang rolls in, kicks his ass, destroys the truck. Uh, though not before Rosie can call it into the judge, uh, can call it in, and the judges are alerted. Was he shot through the heart? Uh, you are to blame, Fox. I know that. Um, <laughs> the wreckers make off with Rosie's electronics, and Dread arrives in time to get Skeet to the hospital. The hospital at a seat St. Peter Root. I mean, I did. I wouldn't have thought that that was a possibility, given the giant laser beam that ripped through where his stomach and part of his lungs and part of his heart would be. I mean, and it goes a, a, a clean shot, sort of, um, you know, through the organs. <laughs> yeah, you you don't need all those organs. It's the future, you know. Yeah, you're right. Lasers just singe everything and make sure that everything's still working once it goes through. Yeah. Right. That's what I learned from Star Wars. Um, uh, so. It's fair. Skeet's recovering, but Rosie is totally destroyed. Out of the hospital, he drowns his sorrows and gets even more unhappy and gets even more unhappy about, about Rosie's fate. And now he's lost his job too because he got out of the truck. He does what we call a fox. Just get oh, no. drunk, go back to your robot truck when you're real drunk that's been decommissioned, cry a little bit, and then turn it into a murder machine and have to leave the United States. 
wasn't even the president's daughter. Whoa, shocking if true, Fox. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but so, finally, Skeet does indeed get drunk enough to wander off and finds the remains of Rosie's and again pulls a fox, uh, warms that truck up and starts driving <laughs> off looking for revenge. <laughs> what? You said it. He's driving it's... on manual, blasting through buildings. Yeah, looking for those wreckers. I mean, like, the the fair part of this is it was revenge-driven. So I feel like, you know, the laws of vendetta should have applied here. Mm, I don't know if Mega City won. I don't know if Dread acknowledges those laws. Uh, Skeet is, <sighs> is lisping drunk and coming after those wreckers. The folk back at the truck yard try to call him back, but the radio's broken, as we mentioned, and Skeet ain't coming. So the truckers instead decide to go after him themselves. But before, Bad idea. Yeah, just to stop him before he can do any more damage. Uh, but Skeet manages to outdrive all those other guys, and then Dread, co- and then a judge comes rolling up. Meanwhile, Skeet is entering the wreckers' territory. The judge calls in the situation, and Dread is responding. And man, oh man! Uh, I mean, it's I. <laughs> it's hard to understand how it happens, as Conrad will describe all the things that happen. But that truck becomes like Jason Voorhees, yeah, so very fast. <laughs> Very angry anthropomorphic murder truck here. Um, oh, it's so beautiful. The records try to, yeah, the records try to run their old lady on the street scam, but um, Skeet isn't having nope. it and just runs that guy down. <laughs> it's like a dog. He then continues after the rest of the gang as they scattered, and we get a very sort of disjointed scene full of different panels and crunch effects as Skeet drives Rosie through walls and into alleys, taking out the rest of the wreckers. My favorite is the, uh, the like, three-wheeled on-the-side scree as it just, like, banks a corner in order to then plow into more people and through a wall. <laughs> Definitely. Dread us. Uh, eventually, Dread catches up. He sort of thanks him for taking out the gang members. But of course, the judges frown on vigilantes of all kinds. Still, Rosie is avenged, even as Skeet is taken off to the cubes. She's got a very, uh, like, as the things are picking her up, I didn't realize they were pincers until, like, kind of afterwards. It's a very GLaDOS look kind of feel Definitely. to her. Yeah. So next up, Glenn Fabry's on art. Um, our Our... One of our top slain guys. It's Dude. his first dread strip. And this one tells a story of some bald young learners and of the wise one, Yu Tzu, wandering the earth on a magic buffalo with a fair amount of yellow peril stuff going on. I, yes. Um, but also, I love the idea of an ox that can just like vanish at will. <laughs> definitely. He's playing his flute and he's arrived at the walls of Mega City One. Seeking enlightenment, he knocks on the door, and it's answered by Judge Dredd. Yeah, that's not enlightenment, man. That's just like, uh, I mean, it's in the name. Yeah. Um, Dredd, is, uh, Dredd is not amused by all this and commandeers the magic, bu- the magic water buffalo for food purposes. And the buffalo, being magic, teleports away, and this confuses Dredd quite a bit. You know, it says something about this buffalo that it's like this dude that it's been pretty chill about riding on its back for so long. He's just like, oh, man, no, go fuck yourself. You deal with this. Hey, man, there's danger, you know? Yeah, so teleport also your friend, maybe. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're real tough now, but when you're under Dred's gun, you're just going to be saving your own skin. I know what you're like, Fox. I'm just Um, saying that, like, he committed this man to what you're about to describe, which to me feels like, even if it's in regards to enlightenment, 
kind of a dick move. Listen, Magic Water Buffalo get, talks a good game about enlightenment, but at the end of the day, it's out for number one. That's how it became a Magic Water Buffalo. <laughs> a1, if you know what I mean. Whoa, that's a steak sauce. <laughs> I got some I got some deep cuts on this water buffalo knowledge. Nice. So um Dred's confused, he drabs the sage and carries him into the city. Once there he's processed by the judges, tortured by various methods. He answers all their questions with Zen cones and weirdness, and is adamant that the buffalo teleported itself away with its own magic. I mean without seems a- pretty obvious, but yeah, alright. Yeah, without answers, they humiliate him, shaving him bald, sc- uh, hitting him with some electroshock. But in the end, the judges decide they can't get anything from him, and Dread prepares to toss you two out. And that sage ain't having it. You've done all this, and you won't even let me in the city? And then he says, like, oh, that's fine. I've got to go in, because I've gained enlightenment. Enlightenment that you and your city all suck. <laughs> yeah. He, he, punches, he punches Dread right in the face. And then uh, reaches immediate enlightenment and starts laughing at the whole thing because it's like, oh, God, it's all connected in some way that we as readers don't understand. I mean, gaining enlightenment and then sort of having like and then laughing uproariously at the ridiculousness of all existence is a very. That's a normal um, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very Taoist sort of response, that kind of thing, I think. Oh, I mean, um, so I had I had a Taoist hit me in the fucking face with a stick once and then just start cracking up about it. So. Whoa, that seems like a personal problem. Um, but anyway, uh, this does not please Judge Dredd. So he gets 10 years in the Mega City One kook cubes, as you do. <laughs> I'm At least they're separated. I mean, is it any different is really the question I have. It's a good question. I think you get the crazier types in there. Like, Yeah, recently- but you're in a cube. Right? Is the assumption? Yeah, but like maybe like in the kook cubes, they like also like kind of like they have one of those like spinning spiral discs to like hypnotize you or something like that to like oh, de insanity you. I love it. I love that concept. I love it so much. And someone's just behind it going. Well, they have to hire a robot just to spin that thing like an umbrella. You know, they might as well be making the noise, right? They can do two things at once. Of course, that's why you get the robot. Well, that's <laughs> you why a human could handle that. No way. So we had Walter for so long. He can make a cup of fucking coffee and talk at the same time. Horrible. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> uh, let's finish up. Dread. Ian Gibson's back on art. Hooray! Loving it. It's. I love the upshot of Dread on the bike. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, On the yeah, color yeah. pages? It's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, besides the uh, Judges Do Ads, his last time on Dread was the Tomb of the Judges story way back in Prague 498. Holy shit. And this time, we flash back to the year 2107, where a street tough is gunned down by other gang members. Dread responds and finds this guy, Dog Deaver, Murphy Warlord, a victim of a gang hit. Well, feels like Dredd, that's kind of his life, right? Yeah, Dred calls in a med wagon as the as the dispatchers quotes Oliver Goldsmith for some dang reason. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get that. I thought it was going to be some kind of interference thing, but nah, it's some nope. weird poem. Yeah, um, but in the present twenty one ten, Brian a Dog Deaver is being let out of the out of out of the uh, McMurphy Block Juve rehab for getting shot, obviously. Yeah. Well, he's also doing gang stuff. Listen, if there's one thing we've learned from Judge Dredd, it's that just because you've had some sort of thing done to you doesn't mean you can't also be arrested, Fox. Listen. Um, And um, 
when he gets out, uh, the, uh, the, the, the judges give him a hard time, but eventually give him his stuff back, including his old gang jacket. And we switch to Deaver's point of view. He talks a lot about honor, various gang stuff in the Big Meg. And everyone on the West Side would love to wear a full mental jacket. But, I, you know, what's soon alluded to us is I guess it means less now. Question well, yeah, because they've lost some status. But, you know, this whole thing is sort of a mixture of uh, it pays to be mental, like the uh, the Dread story, and, you know, the uh, full metal jacket, like the uh, yeah. Sandy Kubrick film. And this whole thing is because they're gang members from the uh, McMurphy block, which is a reference to the character of McMurphy in the uh, book slash movie One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Ah. So there's a lot of like like an insanity thing going on there. Mm. Uh, Deaver gets out of the cubes and is picked up by his buddy Huey and the full mental jalopy. Um, Pretty good. They're, yeah, they're, they're driving around doing general fresh out of prison stuff. I've recently been watching this uh, terrible reality show in America called Love After Lockup, which has a lot of um, oh my god like, similar like uh, like uh, people having bad relationships and one of them is just getting out of prison. It's always really funny because I think they're required by their contracts as wherever they go to say they just got out of prison oh like my you're god. at like like All right. you're like at the hotel and you're like i just got out of prison like oh okay fine you know your room's ready anyway <laughs> they're driving around um fresh out of prison stuff when dog yanks the wheel you ran out on me huey it's revenge time you're a real jerk yeah, Dog thinks this gang stuff is to the death, but Huey is a bit more reasonable. But before he can do anything crazy, Dog regains his cool and tells Huey, if you ever let me down again, you're dead. I feel like someone who just tried to kill you and him a couple times in a car, that's probably pretty true. Yeah, listen, he's into it. Uh, we love that a dude named Slime is in charge of the mentals now, but we'll see about that. I mean, I feel like, why would you... Elect a dude named Slime, but, you know, not Special. a part of the uh, inner inner circle of full mental jacket types. I don't think it's that much worse than a boss named uh, named Dog, like like we're seeing here, you know? Yeah, I mean, I also probably wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd get someone, like, responsible or accountant or, you know, <laughs> doesn't talk about our illegal activities. Nah. Johnson. Yeah, that's good. That's a good family. Um, so, uh, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dredd is getting the bulletin that, that Deaver's out of the cubes. He decides to roll up on him. But at the same time, the jalopy is breaking down, true to its name, which Who? means that Dog and Huey are going to have to warriors their way home. Oh, man. Please As tell they, me that that is actually true. As they get out of the car, the baseball furies or whatever the hell else are showing up <laughs> and things look pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <clears throat> oh, God. It's still residual. Oh, oh that was good. I like the, the baseball next, theories. Yeah, next time on Judge Dredd, dog meat. No, next time on Judge Dredd, we'll get a uh, a kind of like last time on Judge Dredd by like a nameless, faceless, uh, sexy, black um, uh, disc jockey on the radio. Yeah. Watch out, warriors, because your next boss is coming along, and it's not going to be great, and everyone's still getting at you. But good luck. Get back to Coney Island. I can't wait. <laughs> be careful out there, mentals. Anyway, um, oh, yeah. yes. excellent times. Ugh. And speaking of uh, people having difficult leadership situations, Fox. Oh, God. <laughs> Thrill 3, ABC Warriors. Can I just, uh, can we take a moment and say, like, fucking great work, SMS? Yeah, there's some, yeah, he did some great stuff in this one. I mean, SMS and, and 
and Bisley. They're both really like oh man, showing, showing up on the scene, like like knocking everything over and making their presence felt in these oh, stories. I and I mean, you want to talk? You want to talk Bisley? We have a we have a very clear uh, top contender for top art, and it's just his fucking cover page that we'll get to later. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> So, uh, script about Pat Mills, Art Robots, uh, SMS, and Simon Bisley. Letting about Annie Parkhouse and Jack Potter. So, the Cut Emperor, to, yeah. like, one of the most sexually oriented buildings I've ever seen in this Indeed. entire thing. The Emperor card has been drawn as the bots arrive at the tomb of Zalin. It's a giant female figure with stairs leading up to her mouth. And that, indeed, is the mouth of the Cosmic Mother. All right, then. Let's get yeah. into some fucking bug terminology. Yeah, Deadlock talks a lot about religious theory here, how humans usually worship a male sun god or a female moon goddess. But when they moved underground, male energy became a termite and female became a worm. We see freezes of humans fighting aliens and Deadlock talks more about the nature of the worm as a female energy and the male is grasping insects. So there's a lot of like beetle and scarab imagery going on in these walls as well. Yeah, it's intense. Um, yeah, we're going to see a lot of stuff along these lines as the years go by with Pat Mills. So, you know. Gross. Like, yeah, basic, but basically Torquemada's deal is to completely overthrow the female with the male. Don't be a worm. Be firm. Be strong. Belong. I mean, there's some subtext there that I feel like. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Get yourself yeah. a carapace. Be hard. Yeah. Don't be a worm. Be firm. Yowza. Yowza. Anyway, so... Long story short, they gotta they gotta solve this logic puzzle to get to the control room, and suddenly things get all MC Escher up in this piece. It's pretty neat, you know. Yeah, there's stairs all over the place. Gravity's all messed up. Deadlock is almost smashed by falling masonry, and Black Blood's getting stretched by a gravity transmitter. And no, uh, Pi- yeah, we yeah. the this subtext of Joe Pineapple's fucking like picture negatives coming back. Yeah, the negatives. Um, the whole world slows down, but Hammerstein thinks he's got the answer. He grabs Mongrel, Terry, Joe, and Rojaws and makes for an exit, leaving behind Deadlock, Mechquake, and Blackblood. Realizing <laughs> the, t- yeah, the tomb's full of mind scanners that judge the intent of the entrance, and those three intended to destroy the black hole bypass instead of fix it. Honestly, Ciao, Deadlock. Enjoy okay. the extra print. <laughs> yeah, that one that one was a weird one. Saying chow afterwards, I'm just like, all right, that's a little weird. But yeah. best investment ever, intention scanners, right? Like you yeah. don't use as much fuel on like murdering people if their true intent is just like, yeah, I'm just coming over for a fucking cocktail party. But if someone's totally. like, I'm going to, you know, I don't know, John Wick through your house, at the very least the house will fight back. I did not. John Wick will be able to handle it handily because John Wick is pretty good. It's true. I, I feel like no robots could stop John Wick. Yeah, big dog energy. Um, so it's it's SMS's <laughs> final pages in the prog as the good robots arrive in the control room. Looks like a giant beetle as Rojas and Hammerstein debate the relative morality of galaxy conquering monarchs and their relation to the working class and so forth. We've really been. Like, everyone's scoring points on Hammerstein about this stuff as he just stands around like a chump, just for this whole story. I mean, you know, it's not, not, so much, not so many times Rojas waxes philosophical about the working man, but, you know, he yeah. is a good vessel for it. 
For the record, it's not that they're wrong. It's just that, like, it just makes, like, Hammer... Like, I've liked Hammerstein previously. This just feels like a huge attempt to chumpetize him that I don't really appreciate. Yeah, exactly. I felt like he's been fairly stoic and dismissive of his lot in life while still keep... Like, he has a very firm thing of just, like, I am... Like, people threw me away like garbage. I swear no fealty to things. But now we're just kind of doubling down super hard on this whole order angle. Yeah. Like it's something that like I feel like had like the, like the, it might have been different in Robusters, but in in uh, yeah in in what we've seen in 2000 AD at least, Hammerstein hasn't been like ultra paid patriotic all that stuff. I mean, no, he sort of he's mostly mission. been dismissive and just who's my boss? Yeah, like he he's had missions and he's executed on them and stuff, but he hasn't been like rah rah sis boom ba about like Torquemada say when we saw him working in Torquemada's service. For yeah, instance. exactly. And now we're suddenly like paying homage to the fact that like oh yeah, but it's pretty impressive that these fascists did this thing, and he's like ah, you're just fucking programmed that way. And I'm like yeah, but also like isn't that like the I point? Wrote, yeah, or. Or that he's ri- he rose above that like thousands of years ago almost. Yeah, I mean he's not a war droid anymore. He's not just a murder machine. He's like, yep, yeah. I'm, I am now this thing, and now I'm that thing, and I guess this woman likes me. That yeah. was it. That that actually kind of cheapens the whole thing uh, with him and this chick. You know? Yeah, the Terry. Yeah. Yeah, because but like he kind of like. Yeah. Oh, please go ahead. Oh no 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 sorry you. Well, I was, I was just saying it, it cheapens the whole thing where he has this revelation of that he might actually have a the feelings. And I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. So he didn't have a the feelings before. Yeah, it's like everybody else in the story is trying to make him one dimensional as he's trying to become like three dimensional or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a weird thing. Um, and yeah, suddenly there's a noise. Oh, my God. Watch out. It shot a thing at me. It must be the ultimate mechanic, the guardian of the black hole control room. The bots prepare an ambush, but when they attack the gar- um, but when they attack the guardian, looking pretty jacked up already, surrenders. Also, I like that their call sign for when they should all do a thing is a thumbs up. Yeah. Good work, guys. Good times. Um, he um he explains he only shot at them because he thought they were accountants because that's the only thing in the world he wants to hurt. Because and I mean, we really don't know why for a while. Oh, he explains he was supposed to be the most awesome machine in history, but the mechanics showed up and cut his budget constantly because uh, uh, the designers wanted to retain the rights to their work. There's a lot of very not very subtle digs at the new creators arriving at 2000 AD, if I'm being honest, and yeah. then the sort of general cost cutting of stuff. Um, Oof. Now the Guardian's all jacked up. He's inspired by genius, but ruined by morons. But all right. We learn there's no actual way to the control room because the accountants couldn't justify the expense. Like, oh, like it's a perfect device that'll never break down. So I would need to get to the control room anyway. Oh. Um, oh, no. And double oh no, because the evil bots have found their way through the maze and it's showdown time. It's a deadlock. You'll never get away from me, you blundering idiot. <laughs> After a pretty sweet deadlock pinup, the warriors have this big conversation. Basically, that deadlock uh, rejoined the team for the express <sighs> purpose of destroying the gateway. 
Yep. Black Blood joined because he likes betrayal and Mechbreak's yep. just sort of generally evil. Yep. And indeed, the only time that Deadlock really helped them was against the Monad, which represents a pure evil that goes uh. against Deadlock's pure chaos belief, this sort of balance thing that we've talked about in this the past. Is, it's not quite retcon, but it's starting to have that flavor, man. <laughs> yeah. Nemesis apparently has too many good elements for Deadlock to really be down with him, which doesn't quite square with the uh, version of Nemesis we recently saw in a purity story yeah which where he's much more sort of good just to sort of toy with people but i guess intentions matter less than uh ultimate outcomes in deadlock's accounting perhaps i mean but also isn't fucking i mean deadlock's not a god but nemesis is a god complicated yeah um, um it's anyway, not a force uh, yeah. Yeah. What gives Deadlock the right to judge huma- to judge all this stuff? Humanity himself. Because re- remember back in the old days, his team, the Knights Marshal, were um, the judges of humanity for war crimes and stuff like that. And we got some sort of old school art of like Deadlock doing stuff. So kind of like days. a violent The Hague. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you know, they were up and they, they had like a space station. No, I remember all that. I just didn't. Yeah. I mean, I just figured that they were kind of occultist robots. But they... Uh... It really I mean, does seem tur- like they're yeah. they're not. They turn their job into a culty kind of thing, you know, as, yeah. as you do almost. You know, I mean, you know, an Inquisition's yeah. as good as the uh, people running it, so. Mm. But now Deadlock has judged all of humanity and found it guilty, so it's time to destroy them. Okay, but then, Big like, thing, why yeah. kill robots? Well, because they're in their way. And listen, I just want to see these warriors fight. That's just the big thing. It's uh, fucking true. <laughs> yeah. Deadlock and Hammerstein show down. Terry tries to help, but is tossed aside. Mechquake oh, and Mongrel show down as well, which is pretty solid. I, I um, love their little, like, passe joke in the next thing, which is effectively, they would be saying quippy remarks, except they don't really know anything except, like, smush and, you know. Yeah. Bunch Not of other of shit. Talking. It's it's good. They're They're just doing a fight. Yeah. And then Joe and Blackblood go after each other, Joe demanding the negatives. They fight desperately. Blackblood seems to have the upper hand with his drill ha- drill leg. Joe is down and Blackblood reaches out. Let's see what's in your mysterious chest compartment. What is it with people in mysterious boxes? But that's fine. In that box. What's in that box? What's in your chest cavity? Uh, the fight continues, but the baddies are doing pretty well. Um, as is his want, Deadlock is monologuing about the ascent of chaos as the apocalypse is at hand. Uh, Deadlock takes some licks on Hammerstein, screaming that he hates rules. It's anarchy that rules, dude. Oh, God. It was the worst thing. Anarchy rules. It's like, <laughs> all right, buddy. Uh, Hammerstein tries to argue that billions will die if the black hole explodes, but Deadlock is not impressed. I mean, he's like, meh. Like, they'll just go back to the whatever and whatever. Yeah, Hammerstein takes a new track, saying that Deadlock is ashamed of being a robot, and Deadlock runs him through. Um, It's looking pretty bad. Yeah, meanwhile, Mongrel and Mechquake fight, but like you said, they're too dumb to have conversations beside big jobs. Um, Pretty good. Deadlock goes for Joe's chest compartment when Terry shows up with an uppercut and then swipes Blackblood's drill leg and uses it as a battering ram to take out Deadlock. It's fucking, it's just all of this is so good. It's so good. It's good. Yeah. A larger fight breaks out and Joe hears a voice. It's Major Savard and her goons, including that alien chap, Abaddon. Hey, well, I guess uh, let's, uh, I guess we deal with this now. Uh, Everything's fine. 
Well, Deadlock knows better and knows that Abaddon is actually the monad in disguise. So order and chaos gotta be bros. Yeah, this forces Deadlock's hand. He must repair the black hole bypass. The monad can't use its power to conquer a chaos for evil. So good times. Man, we really uh, tie that fucking fight up in a bow in like one little square. Yeah, just how it goes. Uh, we end with a pic- with a picture of the Four of Swords, which is the Truce card. <gasps> Next time, Joe's Secret. I mean, I I just never want to know Joe's Secret. That's the sexiest part of Joe Pineapples. Oh, you're, you're gonna learn the mystery. Ah, God damn it! I I hope it's. He's got a real heart. I I don't know. I don't know even what we would even. Oh man. Oh man. Okay. Good. I'm uh, I'm super stoked that you've said that. Let's go. Um, oh oh no. <laughs> speaking of exciting secrets to learn, Fox. Oh, okay. Non thrills, covers, and nerve center. Does this also include Rocket Ranger, please? Of course. Listen, we're going to talk oh, about it a little bit. Thank fuck. <laughs> Prog five seven five Street Machine. Oh yeah, Dread meet, yeah. Dread meets a tr- a truck called Rosie, and this cover by Glenn Fabry that was also used as the table of contents in this year's Dr- Dread Mega Special. So I am unimpressed. Yeah, <laughs> come on, boys. Speaking of which, in the Nerve Center, Tharg talks up the Mega Special and Sci Fi Special coming out. Marketing, they were on last week. Um, wow. <laughs> there are pictures of a doggy Kano Nine and a Material Future Cop Judge Madonna. Looking pretty good. I mean, she's yeah. living in, you know, a, a post-scarcity world, and I am a post-scarcity girl, you know. Right. It's a dystopic post-scarcity world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got a career ahead. Listen, these uh, <laughs> Space Spinner 2000 snap song parodies, that's the move. Uh, um, I'm glad that we were able to make that work. Yeah, all the letters are this week are by writers with female names. The first calls Phi on the lack of female characters in 2000 AD, and so fairly true. Yeah, and most of the uh, existing ones are dismissed as token women, i.e., male characters that just sort of look like that that are sort of drawn as females but don't really have anything inherently feminine about them. I guess. I mean, Terry sure seems to be feminine to me. I mean. I would say Terry's actually a decent example if just because, I mean, you know, it's one. Well, like, I, oh, I mean, she well, is. I'd yeah. say the counterpoint to her being a token woman, though, is her, um, is the stuff with her son at the beginning of the story. Yeah. Like, which has these elements of like motherhood and connection to, to, to her child and things like that. You know, a maternal instinct that despite her being child told she killed, should be a machine. Yeah, uh, you know, drives her to be, you know, drives her character to become tougher and more machine-like and things like that, mm-hmm. which is a specifically sort of female story arc, I suppose. Um, but I, th- I think it is like, you know, this is a decent criticism, I think, for just yeah. generally to think about, like, sort of trying to have characters, you know, a female character that is kind of female, although it is also kind of gender essentialist, I, I, I guess. mean, um, again, it is, it is an accurate assessment. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say, like, like, this is a slippery slope. Because it kind of like also kind of keeps women out of like tough action roles or something oh, like that. Yeah, because exactly. Then they then they just become token women or something. But I think it's just something to like kind of keep in mind if you're making characters. Like that. I mean, whatever. Anyway, I mean, I love the Judge Anderson comics every time they come out. 
And not just yeah. because Judge Anderson, because she gets to do psychic shit. And this is, I mean, I can't, I'm not defending this comic. There is like a hundred different horrible things. <laughs> yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, anyway, uh, elsewhere, readers are are getting guff for buying the comic. There's a question about how Nemesis and Purity met. And we just covered this. All right, get out of here. <laughs> Mid-prog, we got some digi drawings, including a Halo Jones increased Leisure Citizen card. Uh, deadlock the lone biker an angry ace garp and dread with some kind of weird shoulder situation going on yeah no. i mean the pro yeah they'll probably enter the full page ad for bad company 2 and a comic strip for the video game rocket ranger that's all what? action comic strip no gameplay images at all which i love ah god i just it i've never heard of rocket ranger I don't know. I think know. it's a PC game. Like, that's what I... I, I you can All find right. some Let's Plays of it and things oh, like that. I mean, playthroughs and stuff on it on the internet. You know, Fox, Rocket Ranger, Amiga. All right. Oh, no. This is the video game. Yeah, listen. 1988, man. It's a different time. Well, no. Oh, oh my God. They've got, like, a like a fisticuffs with a Nazi section. Good so, times. What? There's a Nazi missile on the moon. Yeah, come on, man. Like, listen. Okay, Prog 576. We're going to get to it. <laughs> knock, knock. Kano makes a big entrance in Bad Company's back, an explosive Brett Ewins cover. Speaking of which, in the Nerve Center, got a, uh, we've switched to a very similar Brett Ewins Tharg instead of uh, by, by Mick McMahon. Mm. Tharg talks up the return of Bad Company and teases the end of Luke Kirby and the return of Bisley next Prog. There are pictures of Zenith, Zenith the Sprog and Blah. Coco the Judge. Very cool, clownish dread. Letters are all about Oz, Fallout, compliments for the story, and sadness that Chopper lost. One writer tries to get details on a forthcoming cho- uh, solo story, but that's still months away. Mid-prog, there's ads for Marvel superhero adventure books from by TSR, including one featuring my boy, Doctor Strange. Yeah. The prog the prog ends with a full-page oink ad making fun of Schwarzenegger and Morrissey. And then, yeah, more Rocket Ranger comics. And like I said, Fox, you were surprised. But, man, this one features Hitler. So I like, mean, listen, yeah, I just, crazy. you know, it, it seemed like the Rocketeer met fucking, I don't know, James Bond. It just lost any at all subtly. And that was not a particularly subtle movie, but this is even less so. <laughs> I'm here to visit the secret of the rocket packs because I was told about it. Oh, no, we're flooded and he's flying away. <laughs> so it was just, it was, it was real. Yeah. I can't believe it happened. <laughs> 577, death to order. Well, I mean, this is the best fucking comic book cover I've ever seen. It's pretty cool. Seven busy drawing a badass deadlock surrounded by bats and goblins. It is the the monster I want to grow up and be. <laughs> nice. In the Nerve Center, Tharg announces the return of Bisley and Fabry and teases tales from the doghouse as well as several contests. There's pictures of a mad robot, the Suicide Squad Elite, and some sexy robot crosswires. Fuzzy <laughs> likes ask- robots. Yeah, letters ask for a th- asks ask for a Tharg movie. Uh, sure. About the money earned from writing letters, memories brought up by ABC Warriors, and a rugby injury that made a reader look Thargian. I mean, and what is, I guess, the initial Team America Yeah, puppets? yeah, mid-prog. Yeah, there's a contest to win some Thunderbird posters and VHS tapes. Yeah, Thunderbirds were this old, um, yeah, Marionation. Ah, that's um, where they show. got the... I've never... I never knew... That they're okay. Well, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It's what, yeah. Team America's like, like, definitely very inspired by uh, Thunderbirds, 
and actually, Robusters, what uh, ABC Warrior started out was was, was really? inspired by it as well. Yeah, just this idea of this. I like, had no idea. Team of different people doing disaster stuff, and then like you know they've got a ship that splits into multiple ships and stuff like that. Well, now You've I want to see Thunderbird Thunderbirds. No, I it's definitely see- very crazy. Like I'm what? actually we, we just talked about this in uh I I talked about this in the sci-fi special, but I find all that all that stuff deeply disturbing. Like I don't like marionette puppets very much at all. They, they, oh, I mean they, they're they super creepy, me but knowing that this came from like a thing, now I just want to see what a Thunderbirds looks like. It's out there for sure. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm looking at it and it's creepy as all shit. Yeah, no good. <laughs> oh the my prob- god, the little man took off a tiny mask. Okay, focus, buddy. We got to okay, focus on these comics here. Come on. <laughs> the prog ends with some fan art. Judge for yourself. There's a smoking judge dread. Bermuda shorts wearing summertime dread. Surfing dread. Drudge rogue trooper and a a John Paul judge and Ringo meet the judges. Rogue trooper makes a good judge. He's good. He, he he makes a transition pretty easily for sure. Yeah. Prog five seven eight. Who dares wear the full mental jacket? Ian gets I mean, drawn a, a big people, old dread cover. Yeah, I love this one. He just makes these huge um, shoulder pads and stuff. I just, mean, they're the best pauldrons in the world. Definitely. It's his first 2008 covers since Prog 476, over 100 Progs ago. Jeez. In the Nerve Center, Tharg says that the future in the Progs isn't set in stone, so don't freak out. Um, there are pictures of a xenomorph judge alien and just kind of a lady-like robo-Tharg kind of thing. Letters include a, a lapsed reader coming back after all these years. There's questions about where the 2080 scripts go, and Tharg gives one to a reader, but this is a once-in-a-millennium event. So <laughs> although they, there is actually a, a script book that's been published that has scripts from a bunch of different uh, top writers and stuff. Oh, neat. And finally, two writers are having an argument about about the longest mega epic while both the judge child and oz are 26 progs long the judge child is 168 pages long while oz is 198 damn mid prog is another comic this time to win a free copy of that there rocket ranger uh, uh pc based jetpack powered nazi punching uh, okay the prog ends with a quick preview of the, of a winged strontium dog from next week's Tales from the Doghouse. Cool. And then a pinup by Brett Ewens of Shiva from Bad Company. It's looking, pretty awesome. Yeah, she's looking very much, of course, like Shiva, the Hindu goddess, um, as seen. Um, sorry, no, I was um, I was going to say as seen in the sci-fi special last week, but actually that was Kali, not uh, Shiva. Hmm. And I will say I don't. Um, if I have one quill about this picture, it's just that uh, Shiva is not sta- is not standing on top of a dwarf because that's the traditional way to depict Shiva in uh, really Hindu Hindu sculpture. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. She's sta- destroying the world while standing on top of a dwarf and stuff. It's, it's fun. <laughs> Speaking of dwarf stomping, Fox. Oh, oh my God! Thrill four, bad company two. Oh man, oh man, bad company. You so bad. And it's crazy. ridiculous. Yeah. Script robot Peter Milligan, art robot Brett Ewins and Jim McCarthy, letting robot Tom Frame. Bad Company is back. Oh, yeah, baby. And let's go in to a different character, fourth person. Yeah. Things are getting weird here as we meet some kind of narrator that seems to be disembodied but still hanging around the Protoid's uh, shape-shifting ship. Yeah. Spying on all the characters, including our friends Danny Franks, Kano, and the Protoid himself. Yeah. We also see some cruel aliens torturing humans, and it is a bummer. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great. 
every single time they show an up-close shot of either a human or the torture of them, it's really bad. Definitely. Um, Danny finds space makes him feel small and insignificant, but the protoid can't empathize. Hey, I'm pretty awesome. Uh, (laughs) The alien's picking up screams from a local planet and uh, here in cruel space. And the company goes to investigate. They find a horror world with warped, evil, cruel, doing something extremely distasteful. It actually used to be an extension of Disney, but they paved over it and created the Star Wars experience. So, <laughs> Oh, no. The protoid turns into something horrible and ex- um, and explodes into a cruel's brain, uh, apparently to interrogate him. The cruel here are trying to extract the essence of pain to distill a, a universal suffering. All right. All that the humans sounds here great. are... Yeah, they're linked together. It's subjected to massive pain, and it's trapped in a vast pit. Like I don't know. I don't know how it works. Yeah, I um, mean, it happens with tubes and also um, swirly ghost face. Yeah, so. ghost face, the gases. I don't know. Um, Danny's incensed. He leads the team to destroy the evil construction. But as they fight into the pit of pain, Kano suddenly neuroflips. The cruel in his brain takes over. a horrible night for a curse. Yeah. Oh, Simon. Castlevania 2, man. Yeah, that baby. wall chicken. <laughs> and the cruel takes over his brain and he goes berserk, reluctant to shoot their buddy. Danny can only look on as Kano grabs the floorboard he's standing on, upends it, and sends Franks tumbling into the pit. Time to have a pit party, baby. Danny's falling into the pit of pain. He's looking pretty bad. But... What um as he does, we get our first really good look at the cruel heart, which seems to have noticed Danny, which is bad times. It's got so many wiggly horn bits on it. Yeah, it looks like a giant cruel with a couple regular eyes and a couple giant spirograph eyes as well. The extra eyes are there just to make sure that you know when it's angry or scared. Yeah, leave on the extra eye for intelligence, integrity, and intensity. Um, oh, for wrestling. Anyway. Oh my God. I don't know. It was funny to me. Anyway. I love um, you. The cruel heart's nearing its death, but it's now focused on a new word. Danny. And it's super spooked. It's spooked of the Danny. Totally. Kano regains his senses as the company is pinned down by Cruel. Danny's been in that pit for like 10 minutes when Kano finally comes to and springs into action, takes a bullet in the chest, but that doesn't stop him from grabbing a pain pipe and redirecting the human suffering straight into the Cruel. Takes all the I'm going to release a pain pipe on you, Cruel bitches. Uh, you're no match for my pain pipe, Hogan. Oh, um, no. <laughs> the aliens are taken out. And about a half an hour is that, later, Danny is that is that uh, is that uh, gold dust? Is that what we're talking Man, here? Like, okay, like uh, sidebar. There's a there's a whole area. There's a whole period of pro wrestling where it's just um, Hulk Hogan's the champion, and various managers come out with some new monster for um, Hulk Hogan to beat. You know, it's like you're no match for my Yeti Hogan. You're no match for my Minotaur Hogan, oh, okay. etc. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Beautiful. I didn't know that Hogan... He spent a year in the spotlight. All right. Anyway. Yeah. No, many years, man. Like the 80s, basically. Um, the Like like we're just coming to the end of it in 1988, as we're talking right now, actually. But whatever. Oh, boy. Um, Danny's been in that pain pit for like half an hour. At first, they think he's dead, but suddenly they, they pull him out. They think he's dead, but suddenly he wakes up. He's alive. Oh, thank goodness for plot armor. Yeah, the humans of the planet are freed and the company heads out. Back on the ship, Danny comes too and seems to be doing okay. How was the pit of pain? What was it like? 
Yeah, he's got one answer. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. I had such a good time. In the final prog, Danny's getting weird about the pain pit, having a nice talk yeah. about it with R- Rackham the pain boy. I mean, Rackham, Rackham is the most grounded person in this conversation as a whacked out doodle starts talking about how great it was in the pain pit. Yeah, yeah let's listen wonderful. to that guy. Yeah, I guess feeling all the pain drove him mad, then brought him back to sanity. Then his spirit transcended the pain and brought him bliss, complete with visions of dead friends and family. Sure. And a religious experience, and now he knows life isn't isn't pointless. It means something. And um, his kind of girlfriend, not girlfriend, is like, yeah, it's totally religious. That's so great. I like you a lot more. It's just like, Dar- the whole thing is weird. Darian Seed is not impressed by this, which I think is reasonable. Um, Very suddenly, reasonable. The ship shakes and starts to roil. It's morphing, being forced against the protoid will. The protoid's will become the stomach of the cruel heart. Oh, okay. But don't worry. It's just a psych ouch. Yeah, soon it subsides, but it seems the heart has found them now, which means they're getting close. The fateful hour is approaching, and in response, Kano straps him into his Kato cage. He's going to flip to his cruel self and try to show and throw the, the, the heart off the scent. Suddenly, Kano's gone, and maybe this time, he's gone for good. Well, I hope not, because we prefaced him leaving with how much we definitely needed him for later. Next time, blind side of the heart. Okay, I'm guessing that uh, it won't detect their approach or something. Ah, stop being cynical about all the plot points of Bad Company, Fox. Come on. Listen, also, I love Bad Company for okay. its bad plot points. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I think this is kind of fun. I don't know, just just more, again, just sort of getting in position here. Like, the, I uh, mean, I love it. Yeah, the the pain pit stuff I thought was interesting, but um, also very weird. And I'm not sure what what point they're trying to make. Although I mean, I am interested to hear Danny start having a different line than just the uh, "I'm ready horrible. to die, nothing else matters" stuff that he's been on since Bad Company Two started. I know someone's been listening to way too much sad grunge, <laughs> but like I I mean, quite honestly, I really enjoyed the return so far. Like yeah. first, I mean, look. Anytime that a force is capturing pain, putting it into pipes and then pumping it somewhere for reason. It's like, okay, I can get behind that. That's some that's some cool shit. But I'd like I I mean, we glossed over some of the action, but there's a lot of just like kicking things over. I mean, throwing him into the pit was really dope. Yeah, sorry. It's 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 hard. I mean, we got to hit the broad action. Oh, yeah, because there's a lot going on. Yeah, the play by play, but I definitely say that like uh, Ewan's and Fo- Ewan's and McCarthy are doing some really amazing work with these action scenes and like all the company fighting these crazy and like the design of the crew remains really awesome. Yeah, um, and just all this stuff is really great. It's just also kind of like if it, like if it's just sort of like and then they fight. I don't really want to call like blow like blow for blow. No, 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 no. In those fights. But like, it's definitely worth checking out the ba- out bad company for this amazing art for sure. Yeah, I mean the the only complaint that I have at this point, even walking away from this, is that it really feels like everyone else at this point is just a background character outside of Danny and Kano. Mm, yeah, for sure. Like they're not really doing much. They're like, oh shit, that's right, we have to have Protoid do a thing. Oh fuck, there's also Day Rancine. But you know, Doctor Payne or whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, I like forget Rackham, his name. Yeah, right. Rackham only shows up occasionally. Same with Mac. Like, it's very easy for certain char- for characters to uh, fade into the background if they aren't part of the active converse and stuff. Exactly. Where and you know, I they are also interesting, but that's not. I mean, we're getting close to what is effectively the arc of these two characters, which you know, mm-hmm. that's part of it, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and speaking of, uh, I don't know. Shining a light on some minor characters, Fox. Oh my god. Throw five tales from the doghouse. Uh, something, something, hindsight. Uh, oh, actually, yeah. Why do they even call him Back to Front Jones? They can't call him Hindsight. Oh, man. For all I know, Back to Front Jones might be a reference to something that I'm I mean, not aware maybe. Of. But yeah. it's so, pretty good. About, uh, yeah, scripture about Alan Grant, art about Colin McNeil, letting her about Gordon Robson his kid. New thrill! I, I feel like I just learned to run backwards. It's hard. I, like, I imagine, but you do something enough, right? Maybe. But uh, yeah, so it's a new thrill, but of course it's based on an old one. This is a Strontium dog-themed anthology story. But let's get a chance to uh, meet some new dogs and generally have some more space western hijinks and stuff. Um, I should say, I don't know if I said it at the time uh, when we finished up Ascara's work, but besides working on Dread, he's actually at this point right now probably also working on the uh, story uh, Third World War with Pat Mills for the upcoming comic Crisis, which is a comic Uh. for a slightly older audience with some trenchant political commentary. We'll talk about it eventually, maybe. We'll we'll definitely start seeing seeing ads for it in 2018 enough. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. But uh, we meet Strontium Dog back to front Jones from Essex. His head's on backwards, basically. Yep. Uh, Seems real a, not great. Yeah, he's working as a bounty hunter, teamed with this guy named Lobes with some giant ears. They're going after some goons holed up in a wasteland space barn. Right? And they try to sneak up on him. Jones and Lobes manage to take out some of them and then call the rest, call out the rest of the Desperados. They have there, There's a shootout, but Jones isn't very a- accurate because, of course, he's like... Cast looking over backwards. his shoulder when he shoots basically which is not a good way to be accurate I, there's just a lot of slapstick going on definitely yeah this is a lot of just like oh man i'm backwards and it's tough <laughs> oh uh, god i'm so backwards eventually jones has a plan and he like kind of pops up and says all right i'm gonna walk off just be cool but he's actually maybe walking towards them, and this freaks the uh, freaks the bandits out. Oh my god! <laughs> they still shoot him, but Lobes is able to get the drop on the rest of the bandits and kill them all. I mean, I guess it works out. Also, I do love that his name is Lobes because his ears holes yeah. are only slightly bigger, but his lobes are just like fucking huge. Yeah, yeah, these big old ear lobes. Um, so they, they get the bandits, they get the bounty, it's time to head home. Jones swearing is going to get some shoulder-mounted mirrors put on to avoid these problems. Yeah. And as he does, he trips over a space lizard. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> space lizard. Definitely. Next time, the Birdman of Alton Towers. It's all right. Oh, Alton Towers, wasn't that a, wasn't that a theme park? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we've talked we, we've talked about it. Even seen ads for it in the pages of uh, of of the Prague over the years. That's right. It's where the location of the flame, the famous black hole was, as right. I learned from uh uh not disjointed land, uh defunct land. 
Yeah, that's a fun uh, video. That, that, that's a fun video series for sure. I remember you yeah. talked about that. You mentioned I watched a bunch of those videos, so good times. So I'll possibly link to it again. I'm not sure. I've got a lot, lot going on. No, um, I don't have to anyway. think about that. Yeah. So, Fox, oh, man. let's talk about. Uh, so, speaking of elephants in the room, Fox. Yeah. I'm sure at this point someone's been like, "Hey, like, how could we ever talk about uh, that one thrill?" So let's do it now. Thrill Six Summer Magic. Oh boy. Yeah, let's um, get into her. Yeah, so scripted about Alan McKenzie, art about John Ridgway, letting her about Annie Parkhouse. Like Fox and I had had a rare pre, uh, pre-show meeting about Very this rare. comic, and we wanted we we wanted to uh, like we both had some heavy thoughts about it and wanted to do it, but also kind of didn't want to do it just in the middle of the comic where it'd bring the rest of the show down. Yeah, basically. So I moved it to the end here, and so hopefully we should uh, be able to get through here. Um, anyway. I should mention that the letterer's name has changed from Annie H to Parkhouse in Prog 574. So I, I'm imagining congrats to Annie Parkhouse on her nuptials. Huzzah! Mazel tov. <laughs> Anyhow, it's summer 62 and young Luke Kirby has been in Lundstedt with his uncle Elias for four weeks. He's been learning some magic in that time, had several traumatic experiences, and then had them those traumatic experiences then reawakened by his magic uncle. Really great. Yeah, currently he's concentrating on a copper coin, trying to turn it to gold. Elias says it's time to head out because Lucas was just successful, and now he can talk about magic to him fully. Yep. Like, Luke looks down and sees that he has indeed turned the coin to gold. So, uh, hey, get on your galoshes and your warm coat, and let's, in the middle of night, uh, just walk into a forest. Yep. Uncle and nephew walk out into the countryside, and at the end of the wood, at the edge of the woods, Elias starts talking alchemy. He oh. talks about the traditional aims of that mystic science: turning stuff to gold, making a universal solvent or alkahest, uh, creating a panacea or universal remedy, and finding eternal life. And he says that these are all bullshit uh, goals, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was into alchemy before it was cool. Yeah. We also learn that there's four ranks of alchemy based on the four elements of Bruce Willis movies and beloved uh, anime-inspired Western cartoons. He forgot love. That's the fifth one, dude. This is only the fourth. I know. I know. So I guess there's something past master, which Mm. is uh, Milia Jovovich. Finally. The apprentice masters earth, acolytes rule air, the adept controls water, and the master dominates fire. During this conversation, the sun sets as they walk some standing stones, and Elias summons a web of fire around them, sending it into the sky in a beastly guise. Uh, a master that has completed his work can take a backseat to nature, and Luke knows that tomorrow night they will face the beast. So, the fellas are getting ready to head out the next day, packing a picnic basket of mortar and pestle, <laughs> scythe, various herbs and pouches, and rifle cartridges. You know, crafting, but you also know it's a PvP zone. Yeah, Luke is... <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Luke is worried he doesn't know much about magic, and Elias assures him that what uh, that that's what makes him dangerous, because he's an unknown factor. All right, then. But as they head out, Elias grabs his chest and crumples. There's something wrong with his heart. Oh, my gosh. And you can tell that it's cereal because tears in his eyes, I guess. Yeah, but there's no time. Luke must head out and fight the monster on his own. It's their last chance. Luke cries big tears as he begs his uncle to come with him, but he just doesn't have the power. Mm-hmm. Elias, is, oh, sorry, because he doesn't have the power. Elias assures him he does, and he'll be watching him every step of the way, just like magic. Sure. 
Cradling the rifle and basket, Luke head, heads out into the forest. It's dark and scary, full of terrifying eyes and who knows what else. To reassure himself, he drops his gear and summons a magic flame to light his way. But just beyond its light, it's the beast! Yep, come to talk it, to you. Impressive, the monster taunts as Luke walks into the... Uh, or taunts as it walks into the light. Luke raises the rifle, and the beast just taunts him more. Shoot me and see something even more, magician. So, as you do with magical evil, the beast starts monologuing. He mentions that you need a bullet of precious, pre- a precious metal to kill him, and event- and generally doing the old uh, go ahead and shoot. You ha- you don't have the guts, kind of thing. Yeah, but I mean, you know, they always yeah. do. Yeah, eventually the beast attacks and Luke is forced to shoot and he uses his magical ability to transmute the bullet in flight. Gasp. It strikes through it strikes true and the beast falls and before Luke's eyes it turns into his uncle Elias. Elias has just enough time to say he's sorry before he passes away. Luke through tears thinks that he knows this was coming, has known since the first night maybe, but he now understands the cycle of prophecy, the destiny before him. Waking, uh, walking the arcane path required a sacrifice of his own humanity. He had to kill his mentor to become a wizard. Luke packs up and heads back to the train. He's unlocked some bolts of the mystic doors, and eventually he'll find his own apprentice and start. And uh, and his part in the cycle of magic will complete. I, I no, mean, yeah. There's no going back to that summer of lost innocence. The summer of '62. The I mean, end of I, summer magic. I'll tell you this much, man. Before we really get into it. Um, like the end of this, which I guess we, you know, once we get into it proper, the end of this doesn't feel like a, I've learned magic or whatever. It's like, no, another cycle has started. And I, I like the only thing I can do is make apprentice. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that is the feeling I got out the end of this. However, let's, uh, Hey Conrad, well, let's, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about this comic summer magic. Well, uh, first, let me say just a little bit, a bit, bit of other things. Just that, um, oh, Luke sure. Kirby will return in this year's winter special, and then be back for a full adventure in 1992. And just for some history stuff, Luke Kirby, like *Summer Magic*, is kind of an unusual story, just because you know it's not really sci-fi, and it seems to be aimed at a younger generation, that, um, de- a, a, a younger demo than than um, that than normal. It was originally meant for Eagle, but the editors, including of course author slash editor um, Alan McKenzie, thought it was good enough to be in the prog. But anyway, right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna set a clock here just because I kind of want to get into it. But basically, <sighs> no, no, it's good. Like Fox and I have had some discussions about this, and it's got some content warning because it, it's like I feel like some of the stuff we're gonna talk about is gonna get kind of dark here. So I'm a gonna- little bit. I'm going to set a timer for 15 minutes, and after that, we'll stop talking about it. So if you want to like jump ahead in your podcast thing, because you don't want to deal with that shit, I don't blame you, and that's fine, and whatever. So let's go. Yeah, let's do this. Okay. If you want to avoid our blathering, please jump to the one hour, 16 minute mark. Thanks. So we talked a lot about, um, sort of off air, about how... Like the discussion of lost innocence and a lot of the weirdness, or a, a lot of stuff in this story seems like it's got a lot of subtext going on in it. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of implied things going on in the course of this story. I guess. Um, do you want to talk about like what what your feelings were, Fox? So I mean, so when I walked away from this, uh, I mean, obviously I was coming in like, oh, Summer of Magic is going to be this 
magic thing, magic based thing. And, and it was already more promising than Wolfie Smith. Right. Oh, of course. Um, and as I was walking into reading this, this set of, of four of the comic books um, for our episode, uh, I didn't expect uh, to feel the things I did afterwards. Right. Mm. So like, to in, instead of going there first that i think that you're right to kind of key in like things like innocence the amount of trauma the kid's been in and really the words that are being used to describe kind of not not the whimsical elements but like their relationship together and parts of what he's been through but then bouts of happiness but then bouts of like terror knowing you know kind of admitting to himself that like at some point he was going to kill this kind of surrogate parent um mm -hmm. like a lot of what i took away from when walking away from this was definitively that this person abused this child um <laughs> yeah. and and certainly after our discussion uh like you facilitated a, a much like uh, I think a more resonant thing about that, which I'll kind of let you describe. What what did you take away from walking away from this? Well, so I want to be clear that I don't think this was what um, Mackenzie had in mind. Oh, with, sure. With writing the comic, all right. Like I don't I don't know if like I I, I can't speak to that. I don't think it was just because I haven't I've never seen it written like that in um no anywhere about this story. No. Everywhere else it just says oh like it's like Harry Potter, but whatever else, but. To me, I'd say the similarity in um, of Summer Magic is less to Harry Potter and more to something like uh, Pan's Labyrinth, for instance. Yes. Um, a story that's about a child retreating to a fanciful world as a way to process extreme trauma in their life. Yes. So, like... I feel like so to me, and this is very much like a like oh yeah, Conrad went to school, did some did some uh, did some San Francisco literary criticism in his time sure. in, in college. But like for me, Summer Magic can be read as a story of like um, a young person like being abused and killing their abuser, and that sort, and then processing it as this story about wizards and stuff like that. I guess sure. Like, it, 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 it explaining away the bad things that um, Elias has done to him as saying, oh, that was the beast, right? That was this other part of himself that um, was able to, you know, that was was changed and different and that he couldn't control. And really, my, you know, I, I remember the good parts of my uncle as Uncle Elias, this guy that told me, sec that, that told me secrets and, you know, did fun magic tricks and things like that. Yeah, exactly. It was only this evil part of him that hurt me that is the beast, that is this darkness inside of him that eventually in the woods, I, I, I shot him with a rifle and ended up in a situation where I was in the middle of the forest cradling his naked body, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I doesn't, it does not sound like a, like a, I, I mean, it just, that the way that this whole thing is, isn't, it just doesn't feel normal by the end of it. And it doesn't feel a cult either, if that makes sense. I mean, I think it like the story still does have all these elements of like um, a coming of age story. Right. I mean, like it's, it's very much on the nose for that, actually, in a lot of its language and narration, like the way Luke talks about. Um, like, I mean, a lot of that stuff, like losing innocence or leaving childhood behind and stuff like that. Those are big, you know, big talking points in a coming of age story, for sure. Just in a, in a traditional one. Sure. Um, I, I just, at least with most of this comic, if there's any sort of 
mystical element to anything, they tend to go overboard less like it's alchemy, it's whatever. It's kind of, you know, this is this is how it operates in like a page or two. Uh, yeah. And then like the magnificence or horror kind of happens for the rest of the fucking comic. Yeah, I mean, I, I just say that, like, to me, Elias's magic lessons feel less like Hogwarts and more just like grooming, basically. Yeah. Like, well, which is, like, I mean, but a, that's a horrible thing to say. But also, I mean, this is like, honestly, it, it's just, yeah, it, it's what leaps out to me. Like, just like there's a way to read this story that sees it as having a lot of like weird stuff going on. Like stuff well, that's not really I mean, great, that's, you know? that's how this comic ends. Like what he talks about within the last, you know, few panels where he's getting on the train is like, basically my only thing that I can do now is find another apprentice and do this to them. Right. Yeah. And that's I mean, sort of where you leave off. And that, that left me feeling fucking disgusting. Like, yeah, Oh, at the, at, at the very least, Luke is emotionally shattered by all this. It's much yeah. different from like now I'm adult, I have to face the future. You know, it's, it's it's a different feel than say the end of Harry Potter of of other oh, Sorcerer's yeah. Stone. Oh yeah, where you kind of feel like hopeful and interested in the new world that he's in. Instead, it's like I mean, I guess maybe it's more realistic because of course the real world is mm. terrible. Who'd want to hang out here? But like, you know, <laughs> it is like, but there's just like I don't know, just the way it is, and just the like how. How melancholy it all is yeah i mean it um, it, it really you, does kind of want you to have it suss out right yeah like even a straight reading is very like like this is sort of a it's it's very sad and wistful i guess no matter what oh but of like, course um i mean to me especially in my in this second read through i just kind of like yeah, there's just something that's off about the whole situation. I, like, it's just, um, like, there's just, I, I, I don't know. I feel like just reading it back, I just, the whole time, I just felt very troubled reading the whole story. You know? uh, yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I so firmly, uh, it was nice to talk to you even initially and still now about it. Because as I was walking away, I was feeling gross. About the whole comic, not that it was necessarily bad, right? Like it, it didn't handle the material. I would say, if that was its intention, poorly. I think yeah. it actually the subtext was handled well. It was just nice to know that on the other end, like someone else was also having a weird feeling, which made me, yeah, Fo- even if it's not true, it feels fine. Yeah, Fox called me up and basically asked me if if he was going crazy about these. Uh, up- about this stuff in this story. And I I know I was I I picked up on it too. And like again, like I don't wanna like I feel weird about um Sure saying about, that that's uh, what it uh, is. Yeah. This is our experience. artistic intent and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean this is very much like not based like based entirely on on the reading we're doing as opposed to anything about um whatever Mackenzie and Ridgeway's intent might have been for the story. Oh, I, sure. I really, really preface that because I'm not trying to say that, like, yeah, of this course. is what it actually means or this is what they were intending or something like that. It's just that, um, to me, and maybe this might be just a like the fact that, you know, I mean, we're hindsight, it, right? Yeah. And just the difference between reading it in 2019 versus 1988 or something. Different um, times. There seems, yeah, there just seems to be a, like, and just the way we, we view these things or something like that, you know, there's a lot going on, on under the surface here. And so I think it's, an, it's a very interesting thing to just kind of keep in mind sort of as these stories, um, you know, 
I think it's good just to in, interrogate these stories and what they can kind of mean, and then sort of, you well, know, are there other are there other themes here? Are, there, are are we picking up on stuff, and then and then discuss that? You know, I I will be perfectly honest and say that as a defensible position, my man, you and I have gone through 183 episodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure. That at the very least, we have some qualification to talk about, like, what we took away from something. I I don't – and I, I don't think anybody listening would assume that we're saying this is what it is. But yeah, and certainly no one can tell me that that's what summer magic isn't. Yeah. And we uh, so, don't usually jump to these kind of conclusions as well, no. for the record. Like, you know, it's an, an, kind of an unusual thing. But I think it's just like um, – It's good you know, to acknowledge. I, yeah, I'd I'd love to hear what people think about this story. Me and, you also. Know, whether you agree or disagree with this reading and sort of what you thought about it. I think this is one that has been really affecting um, to Fox and I as as readers. And I'd love yeah. to hear what other people think and if you kind of picked up on this thing or something like that. I think a lot of times it, like Summer Magic get, and uh, Luke Kirby just kind of gets tossed off as like, well, actually, we did Harry Potter. Like 2000 AD did Harry Potter before yeah. Harry Potter did. But I feel like there's just a way different – like while they are sure this both kind of like so different. young magicians the 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 tones and settings of these are so different that it's hard to um hard to put them together so i'm just yeah i'd love to hear what other people think and, and, and maybe we can have some discussions on social media or the forums or other things like that um yeah just absolutely. Hear what you're up to anyway <laughs> so, so that's about so break yeah <laughs> so we got about so, so that's about uh uh 10 and a half minutes but that's good that's enough good. i'll uh i'll i'll edit the actual time codes for people to go to and stuff in the actual um podcast anyway so now we've got that out of our system fox these deep <gasps> thoughts about deep um thoughts with jack so, kirby whoa jack handy um, oh jack Han- or, oh no, that's even worse but maybe kirby because it's also comics based um, oh yeah yeah but with that said i must ask you one thing fox uh i mean do we really have anything else to talk about what, what yes. do you have to ask oh Okay, what are you asking me? Me, our listeners, and indeed the entire world demands to know what were your top and bottom thrills. God, who would even want to know that? I know who, me, because I have to kind of think about it. Yeah. That's, it's, that's actually, it's it's not actually true. Uh, top is actually quite easy for me um, for this episode. It is, of course, the ABC Warriors. Uh, really just strong on art uh, strong on action scenes, and while of course it got like you know got a little weird there near the end, what with the like kind of fast forward that it's order and, order and chaos balancing, mm-hmm. this was kind of a it was a building pressure for a little while, and it was nice to I don't know kind of flesh that stuff out. But I really enjoyed just the heavy amount of action that was going on, and I. <sighs> Just like metal and people and just insanity. I'm really (laughs) interested in seeing like where it goes. But special shout out to the most perfect robot ever made that got uh, stripped down by accountants, man. You know, I mean, I lost my skin to accountants. Can't all have golden skin. Yeah. Anybody who's worked in in any in any creative business can really feel um, for the uh, the greatest robot ever built, you know? It's it's we, very true. You can definitely have some like, oh, yes, this has happened to me. I can empathize. Yeah. And for bottom, my man, it is, this is, this is the hard thing, right? Because, well, obviously it's not summer magic, right? And, mm-hmm. and 
it's I, I mean, for me personally, I can't give it to a uh, uh, bad company like bad companies. Really? I mean, it had tubes like emptying pain into a pit. Yeah. Like like that's that's pretty up there. Great. But realistically, what that leaves me with, I, I mean, it's dread, right? Like, so I have to say dread, even though at the, I mean, at the very start of this episode, I, I mean, I'm all about trucks just driving over things. I like totally. a murder truck. I yeah. like I like these things. But, you know, dread was it, like dread was dread. It was like a standard dread for issues. But mm. the rest was just like insane enough to where I mean, I can't put anything else anywhere else. And so it's it's got to be dread for me, man. And so I relinquish the uh, the control of my question answering to you, Conrad, and I return your serve with the lob of what were your top and bottom thrills? Oh, man, um, I might join you on having dread as my bottom, I think. Again, very much. Um, I'm really excited for this full Metal Jacket storyline. Mm. Um and it, while these stories were fine, they, they 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 were pretty good. I mean, I do also want to ding dread for this yellow peril story with the oh, sage yeah. and stuff like that. That one was like a that, little weird. That makes it a little easier. Um, and otherwise, everything else just had some real high quality art or storylines. I think for my top, uh, I might say summer magic for this one. Actually, oh um, my god, I you know how. I don't know if it's the greatest story, but just it gave me a lot to think about. We had a, you know, it caused us to have a big discussion and to talk about things and stuff Man. like that. And I think you sometimes even, yeah, even if it's not the most thrilling thing, sometimes my top thrill, I, 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 I feel like a good option is just something that gives us a lot to think about and discuss and kind of get into and things like that. So I feel yeah. like. Kind of like know, Professor he, Fink. He makes you laugh, makes you think. Frank, please, buddy. Frank, God damn it. God, um, I tried to test you on Simpsons lore. Please continue. But like, while I'd say probably in terms of thrill power, I did like ABC Warriors, although I am getting a little tired of, again, this Hammerstein stuff we've talked about. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, you know, and uh, Bad Company's fine, like perfectly serviceable, <laughs> I think. It is, it is adequate. It is adequate like, Bad Company. The art's great. I'm not so. I'm not as sure about the uh, of what pipe pain, pain pit yeah, pipe. Just like the philosophizing in it and stuff like oh, that. Oh, I mean, sure no, that, that 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 part was just them remembering they had other characters. Yeah. That's. I mean, but, for me anyway. Yeah. So I think, but just on the on the weight of it making us have to talk about stuff, I think summer magic has to be my oh, I mean, my yeah. winner for top thrills. And Man, there you now, go. Now, now I feel robbed. You have the, I see you have the moral high ground. Something. Anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K for the other stuff. Look, look up Space Spinner, two, Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. <gasps> and come back next time as we near the cruel heart. Dread learns more about the full mental jacket. Slain returns to the killing fields t- uh, as a tyranny rex heads under foreign skies. And we'll see the premiere of New Look Strontium Dog. And the black hole concludes. I hope we all survive. Uh, I mean, you know, me too. Also, cruel heart down, 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 down. 
Painty season! Down, 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 down. Oh, that's a slow ride? You're a monster. All right. <laughs> uh, anyhow, until then, I'm Conrad Eastbox, and we are Space Nerd 2000. Splodding!